<clears throat> well, we've been waiting for a whole year for this. We had this thing scheduled, and then uh, COVID nineteen happened, and it uh, took all this away from us. And but now we're here, and uh, we have Brother Ron Gilbert from the South Pittsburgh congregation here with us, and uh, I am delighted that uh, he agreed to come out and, and be with us and. I got to know uh, Brother Ron, and it's kind of odd how that happened. Nicole and Blakeland were uh, down in Georgia on a little trip, and they came back through McKaysville. And they stopped over and, uh, uh, not Georgia. Yeah, it was Georgia. I know that you were in McKaysville when you met Keith. Yeah. And you suggested, let me tell the story. I know what I know what the story is. They met uh brother Keith Ritchie and uh suggested that uh he might be a good candidate uh to come and speak on the summer series. So a couple of years ago I invited him and Ron came with Keith. And so I got to know Ron. And I thought, man, Ron is a wonderful guy. And I said, "Ron, you need to come and speak on our summer series." He said, "Okay." And then COVID-19 hit. Well, Ron and I got to know each other. We became fast friends, and very quickly, Ron became uh, just a wonderful uh, encouragement to me. And at the same time, Ron is, uh, if you have a question concerning the uh, the Greek language, he is your guy. So I call him up and I say, Ron, what about this? Because he has a master's degree in biblical languages. And I appreciate him for that because I don't have the patience or the aptitude for that. And so I say, Ron, and he wants to explain it to me, and I say, just give me the answer. I just want the answer. And so he he's kind enough to me to just give me the answer. And uh, so I appreciate that. And uh, for Christmas, he gave me a mug. It's got some of that writing on it, and it is an awesome coffee mug, and I drink out of it. I still, he told me what it means, and I, and I forgot. But uh, I'll get him to show, tell me that again here in a few moments. But uh, Ron and Keith and I get together. Now, we're thinking about kicking Keith out of the group. But uh, but Ron and I are, are good friends, and I appreciate him coming up here. And uh, tonight, Brother Ron is going to talk to us about the shadow of superior things and how Jesus is superior to the angels and the prophets. <clears throat> Come speak to us, Brother. i tell you, the first thing that I'm going to do Call my wife and see if she wants to listen to Rick, because that was great. But uh, no, actually, I'm going to take a picture of this pulpit. That is wonderful. I love how y'all have the computer underneath the glass here. We uh, ours is mounted. I kid you not, it's like a 32 inch LEG, you know, thing here, and I'm all the time looking over at anybody that's on that side, you know. But that's that's well done, very well done. One of the most horrific things that ever happened to me happened right here in this building. <clears throat> I was asked to come and uh, fill in for the preacher who was going to be away. And I didn't mind preaching when the preachers were going to be away, you know. So I guess it was probably, couldn't have been, wasn't much, maybe third, fourth sermon, maybe fifth. I know it was in the first ten uh, sermons I ever preached. You know, I was just kind of doing spot stuff. And uh, 
they said, why don't you come over to White Oak? I said, this is great, you know. So I came. Sunday morning, you know, went great. Sunday night, the preacher showed up. And boy, that just put a whole new level of uh, anxiety on me, you know, because uh, I was afraid to speak in front of other preachers. That's one of the things, you know, in preaching school, you know. You know when you're fixing to have to speak to your class or to your instructors, you know. Uh, but, you know, something that I, I did learn, I had a good friend of mine. His name was Kerry uh, Duke. And he, he told me, he said, Ron, if you have thoroughly prepared your material and, uh, you know, you are the most qualified person in that room to speak on that topic. And uh, I thought, well, <laughs> ain't no way. But, you know, as I've got to learn, I, I know what he means. Uh, this particular subject that uh, Rick has given me, uh, Christ superior to the angels, I asked him for the first four verses and he gave me 32 so, uh, you know, I would have been real happy with those first four. That was one of the first exegetical sermons I ever, I ever preached was uh, those first four verses of Hebrews chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, be turning there. And I guess, since how I'm first, uh, that I probably ought to lay down a little bit of, uh, background information on this book. I'm sure that you're all familiar with this book. It was one of my favorite books. You have to, in order to appreciate the book, to understand the book, you have to have some understanding of the Old Testament. You can't get through chapter 1 without looking at the Psalms several times and uh, looking at the Chronicles. And then chapter 2, you're right back in the Old Covenant. And heaven forbid, by the time you get to Hebrews chapter 8 and you're dealing with the, you know, the, the lengthiest quote of the entire Old Testament from the book of Jeremiah. And plus you fixing and have talked about the, the tabernacle and the furniture that's therein. You know, you have, uh, if you don't know the Old Testament by the time you get to the book of Hebrews, you'll know it by the time you get to the end because there's just so much that's reliant on, on that. And so, uh, the Hebrew epistle from, you know, con- from inside it, it, it seems that You've got some folks that are that are wrestling uh, with the idea of going back to Judaism, and uh, you you can understand why they might. That's all they've ever known. The, the Christ comes along. There's this this sect. You know, there's this gospel that's being preached. They they believe it. They see the miracles. Uh, they obey the gospel. They start attending you know church on a different day than they have been. But after a while, you know, the new kind of wears off. And they look around them, and lo and behold, everywhere you look, Judaism's alive and well. Uh, there's a good chance this is written to, uh, you know, Christians, Jewish Christians, to the Hebrews. And uh, probably, maybe even read in, in the church at Jerusalem itself, you know, who, who knows. Uh, but definitely Jewish background. All their friends, all their neighbors still are in Judaism, uh, you know, for the most part. The temple's still there. They're still offering sacrifices. Uh, you know what happens on the day of, uh, you know, uh, the Passover. They're still going to kill the lamb. All the family's going to say, hey, hey, you coming to Passover this year? You know, we're doing it over here, you know, and this is what we're going to do. And like, no, we're not doing that anymore, you know, we're, and so you can immediately, you can think of the ridicule that would come with that. And so, uh, you've got some folks here who may be on the, you know, kind of teetering a little bit. They were zealous, you know, you know, how you, we've all seen folks obey the gospel. Maybe we have even done that as well and come out on fire. I was like that, man. When I first obeyed the gospel, 
pen and paper in hand. I copied down every, I would tell Brother Baker after sermons which uh, scriptures he had misquoted. Uh, he didn't even use the Bible much. He would just, but he'd throw out a thousand scriptures. I mean, no cat, I was writing to death. And I'd tell him, hey, you missed that one. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he appreciated that from a 15 year old. Uh, but when the, they had a men's business meeting, you know, instead of, uh, elders back in the day there. And it was unfortunate. They'd had an eldership, but the eldership had dissolved. Somebody had, uh, you know, resigned. So you had, uh, 16 men there, one of which I was. Wasn't 16 yet, but I was considered one of the men because I'd obey the gospel. And so, uh, I was the only dissenting vote not to fire him. And so as a result of that, uh, he'd been preaching the truth on divorce, remarriage where we were attending. Uh, and, you know, all of us may handle things differently, but Brother Baker's one of those guys that kind of grab a hold of something and run with it, you know. And so he stayed with it, and they'd asked him to go on to other things, and he wasn't until repentance was going to... Well, anyway, make a long story short, we left, went to another place, and the preaching wasn't there. The uh, fire wasn't there. I was a young fella. I needed somebody to stir my flame. You know, I wasn't mature enough to stir my own flame. You know, Paul would write Timothy, you know, stir the flame. Well, I needed my flame stirred, and I needed a, a better diet than what I was getting. And I realized that, you know, I've got to supplement my diet. I should have, but at 15, 16, you're not thinking like that. And so I teethered, you know, and so I just didn't do a whole lot for many years. Just kind of lost my zeal. So we know that that can be done without pressure from the outside saying, hey, come back, you know. Look, man, you're a fellow countryman. You're you're Jewish, you know. Uh, here we are. It's us against the world like it always has been. Come back. So I think we can get an idea of why this book was written. Uh, better, better. This uh, 12 times in the book of Hebrews. The, book, the word better, uh, crave. Kraton is used uh, 18 times in Scripture. Twelve of them are in this book. It's just better. Let's just take a uh, cursory look at the many times that this is used. First of all, we're right here in Hebrews 1, so let's go ahead and look at verse uh, 4. Being made so much better than the angels. Let's take a look at now at, uh, and I'll tell you what, I'm just going to get out of this altogether. I probably won't even look at this. It's one of the bad things about having so long to study for a, a, a topic is that if, brethren, just to be honest with you, I have probably overstudied this. And my wife, before she left for work tonight, she said, now don't you get too technical. And I said, yes, ma'am, you know, uh, knowing I probably would. But uh, so let me get out of this and try to go here. There we go. And now let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, at verse 9. Hebrews 6, at verse 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Turn over to chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. There's a bunch in chapter 7, so let's begin with verse 7. And without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. There he's talking about uh, Levi, uh, you know, being in the loins of his father when... Uh, he was giving tithes to Melchizedek. Drop on down to verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Now think about that. He's talking about the old covenant. The law made nothing perfect. He's trying to persuade these, these brethren that the law wasn't making this happen. But notice the bringing in of a better hope did. Drop on down to verse 22. By so much as Jesus made a surety of a better Testament. 
So if you could rename this book, if somebody asked you what would be a great name for the book of Hebrews, obviously the word better would be a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good a name for the book. It's just better. The old law is better. And I love the, the way that you've titled this, uh, the shadow, you know, superior. It's superior to uh, the old law, superior in everything. Notice, let's go ahead and begin with verse 1 of chapter 1. The way I figured it, at 32 verses, I've got about, oh, three minutes for each verse. That'll put us out of here about uh, 9.30, right? Something like that. <laughs> Notice, God. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners. I love the way this book starts out. And I'll just have to tell you, I was just terribly disappointed to find out that's not the way it is in the Greek. If you looked at it in the Greek, you have two words. And they're done. They're alliterated. It's polymeros. And polytropos, and there's a word and in between. And what's it saying? In different times and in different ways, in the old times, God spake. So the Greeks are kind of like uh, Spanish, kind of like the Chinese. They like to keep you <laughs> waiting on what you're talking about, you know. Well, something did something, and they did it in the old time, and they did it in different ways. What was it? It was God speaking. But I, I like the English so much better. It doesn't waste any time with verbiage. He just, this author knows that the people he's writing to know that there's a God in heaven. And he just starts out, God. You know, uh, while we're just talk, stop here for just a second, we're not in that type of environment any longer. It used to be. You know, there's a fellow named, I think it's Ken, is it Ham? Uh, behind the Noah's Ark project and all that up there. And he wrote a book and... Uh, I appreciated one of the things he had to say in there was in Acts chapter 2, you've got a different audience than you do in, say, Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 2, you've got a whole bunch of folks who believe in God. And so the preacher goes to the Bible, the Word of God, and he starts talking about this as that, which is spoken by the prophet Joel in verse 16, quotes the Psalms twice and sums it up saying, you've crucified the Christ. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? You are not going to get that kind of response from a bunch of pagans in Athens in Acts 17. Acts 17, you've got a culture that doesn't believe in the God of heaven. They believe in mythology. They believe in everything under the sun. And those that don't believe in the different gods, they're materialists. They just simply believe that, hey, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The Stoics and the uh, Epicureans were there. And so Paul had to formulate his message differently than did Peter. Uh, you just have two different audiences. Used to in our country, you know, you really had to prepare yourself to deal with Calvinism. You had to prepare yourself to deal with Catholicism. You had to really prepare yourself to deal with cults. Now you just have to prepare yourself to deal with straight out good old fashioned wickedness. Because we live in a society that's just, uh, they're not religious. They're not going to argue the Bible about with you. Uh, they're just simply don't believe anything much. Well, God, who at sundry times in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophetes, the prophets. We can quickly think of, of the prophets of old. We start with Isaiah and end with Malachi. We have 16 there, uh, prophets. That's how God, that was God's mouthpiece, but that wasn't the only way that he spoke to man. Remember Jacob's ladder? Remember when Jacob is sleeping on that rock and he has that vision? God spoke to man in, in dreams. He even spoke to men sometimes through an animal. You remember the story of Balaam. And so there were various ways that God spoke to man. There were various times that God spoke to man. And there were some times when God didn't say anything. You have to uh, think back at the long amount of time that would transpire 
between uh, God saying something and God not saying anything. There would be times when there was no revelation. And think about the miraculous that takes place in the Bible. There are huge gaps where you go hundreds of years and there's no miraculous activity. You know, you look at the kings, you look at chronicles and throw out Elijah and Elisha, you just don't have a whole lot of miraculous things taking place. Of course, those two guys kind of make up for it, but there's just not a whole lot being said there done. But notice, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Man, we could just spend days. Uh, boy, uh, at what time am I supposed to stop, Rick? Sometime around 8, because uh, I've always been very rebellious, especially when it comes to like stop times. And No, I'm, I'm very uh, uh, aware of your time. I know you have a lot to do. Hath in these last days, this last dispensation, the, the Bible's broke up basically into three different times. You have the patriarchal period. That's when the father was the priest. That's uh, the Abraham of old, the Job's. The Adams and so forth. Uh, then there was a law given at Mount Sinai that separated the patriarchals, the Gentiles, if you will, from the Jews. You had the Mosaic economy. So you have two laws running simultaneous there from Mount Sinai, one that applies to the Jews and one that applies to the uh, Gentiles. Now, uh, I wish I knew more about that law to the Gentiles, but do remember that the Gentiles were never given the law of Moses. That was for the nation of Israel. They're the ones who were to keep the, the Sabbath and so forth. There was a moral law. Uh, I wish I knew more about that. I think that helps, though, when we get to like Cornelius in the New Testament. We find that he was an upright man, a just man. But he was, as Brother M.B. Hardiman would say, on the sinking ship of the patriarchal period. There was coming a time when both Jew and Gentile would be one in the church. And that time was now. Of course, in Acts chapter 10, these last days, there will be no, we just had a young man obey the gospel not long ago, and uh, all he has ever known is denominationalism. All he has ever known is premillennialism. And so he is about as confused as anyone could be. Uh, he came up and was speaking to me about how things are so bad, you know, and it's just it's definitely the end times. And I had given him some material on those lines, and I was hoping that uh, that would help. We're going to have to spend some time together. I was raised uh, just right across the river here in a place called Highland Park. At the time, Tennessee Temple University was very strong. Uh, you had uh, I attended a uh, denomination over there that Sunday mornings would go from 10,000 to 12,500 when the school was in session. It was the largest independent uh, Baptist church outside. Well, in the United States at that time, put 150 missionaries in the field by themselves. That's enough to make you shameful, isn't it? That congregation of people said, hey, we love Jesus so much. We're going to put 150 people out in the world. And we realize that they're not helping anybody. Had a big sign behind the pulpit, big old huge thing. And it was, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And boy, I could quote that by heart, saw it every Sunday, it was up there. I had no idea what verse 16 said. You know, we just didn't talk about that. That wasn't preached. But anyway, Dr. Lee Robertson was probably one of the greatest uh, protagonists for, uh, uh, or preachers of uh, premillennialism uh, in the Squatchy Valley, tent meetings all the time. He was very much into the false doctrine of denominationalism or premillennialism, which says that Jesus didn't get it done the first time, that God kind of got bushwhacked at Calvary. And so he established this what's called church age, and we're actually in a gap of time right now 
until we come to the point where uh, Jesus can come back and set up his literal kingdom. I, I saw where Governor Kemp, uh, I'm a Georgia resident now, by like two miles. And man, does that two miles cost me some money. That's the most expensive two miles in the world. But anyway, I saw where we in Georgia just bought $10 million worth of Israel stock, stock in the nation of Israel. Isn't that great? Now we have $25 million in the stock of the nation of Israel. Why do we have that? Because you got to be on Israel's side or God's going to get you, right? Because that's what happened in the Old Covenant. People have no understanding that God washed His hands of Israel in A.D. 70 when He sent the Roman army in there to forever eradicate Judaism from the world. All the genealogies are destroyed. There is not going to be a literal kingdom established, the thousand-year reign of Christ. That is all made up. That's not Bible. We're in the kingdom now. The kingdom has been established. And if you've obeyed the gospel, guess what? You're in that kingdom. But just like the Jews of old, people are not satisfied with that. They want material. They want to be right here. I want a crown on this old head right here. And I want my 60 acres and a mule. You know, that's just not the spiritual kingdom that Jesus came to establish. We are in the last days. Notice, hath in these last days. People will take you to Matthew chapter 24 and they'll say, man, look at all those signs and wonders that's going to happen. We're there right now. Wars and rumors of wars. Look at all this. And then they just fail to realize Jesus said this is going to happen in this generation. The second coming, there will be no signs. As a matter of fact, he says it's going to be like it was in the day of Noah. People are going to be out. They're going to be having parties. They're going to be having wedding ceremonies. They're going to be having feasts. It's going to be like any day. There's going to be no signs for the second coming. The first part, the first 33 verses of chapter 24 have already taken place, and that was in the destruction of Israel. So the last days are what we are in now and what this Hebrew writer was in 2,000 years ago. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Brethren, I'll just be honest with you, uh, and not that I would be dishonest with you. I hate that expression, and I find myself using it all the time. Uh, I did not understand the pre-existence of Christ. I thought for years that just like I began over here at Erlanger, uh, somewhere, you know, that place is so old, who knows where it was. But, you know, 50, almost seven years ago, I began over there. That's when I came into existence, you know. I just assumed that Jesus came into existence in Bethlehem. And boy, did I take away so much of the beauty of the gospel by having that misunderstanding. This right here says that Jesus made the worlds. And then you read a passage like Colossians 1 at verse 16 says not only did he make it, but he made it. They were made for him. He is the one that was in creation. And then you read John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And then you drop down to verse 14. It says the Word became flesh, and flesh dwelt amongst us. And you're like, Eureka! And then, when I finally figured out that Christ was, you know, God was in Christ reconciling man back into Himself. Oh man, what a picture. When I realized that Jesus emptied Himself, Philippians chapter 2, left heaven, thought it not robbery to be held, you know, to hold on to, left that, became a man. Why? To reconcile us back to God. Wow. Was that so... In fact, I just, I'm, I'm tangling a little bit in my, what, three hairs I've got. Just thinking about that. That is so beautiful. And I just missed that. Because I didn't understand that 
He made the worlds. Verse 3, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image. The express image there comes from the Greek word character. And you might say, you just said the English word character. Boy, they're the same thing, aren't they? But they don't mean the same thing. Character, we think of how somebody acts, behaves, so forth. Uh, the character, this Greek word means a cast image, like a coin. And Jesus is the express image. He's the exact image. Sometimes the word icon is used, a form, uh, when we talk about Christ and God. And so, you know, an icon, you see it and you click it and it makes the program come on. But it's not really the program. It's just a, an image of it. This right here is talking about the very die, the very character, the very uh, image uh, stamped, if you will, of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. That idea of holding, upholding, not only did he create it, but he is in some sense sustaining it. It's uh, not that Jesus wakes up every morning and makes sure everything's exactly where it needs to be. Yeah, first of all, there's no mornings, right? But what that does mean is by His authority, by His power, everything is as it should be. I'm in the process of writing a book right now called, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's one of Geisler's books. And one of the things, and I'm going to make a sermon out of this, Rick, I'm, and when I do, I'll send it to you. It's going to take some time. But he talks about the Apollo 13 mission. And he talks about the seven constants that are constant everywhere for us to live. And how those seven constants, and it had to do with CO2 levels, O2 levels, and all that. How they had to be consistent in that spacecraft, or those men were going to die. And how they have to be that consistent here on this earth, and it always has to be that way. And God made it to be that way. And you just, you think about that, and you think about how everything's upheld by the Christ, by God. And it's just a beautiful picture uh, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Peter alludes to this very thing in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. As a matter of fact, I believe the first time I ever heard those two verses were quoted by Wesley Simons. It may have been in this building, but I listened to it on tape. That's why I didn't know where it was recorded. But he was talking about how that this branch, all caps, B-R-A-N-C-H. You know how people say you're shouting at them when you forget and do that on your when you're texting. Everything's all caps. If you'll notice, Zechariah six does that. Behold the branch. This man whose name is the branch. This man, the Christ, deity, God, Jesus is not only going to rule, but he is going to sit and rule. And while he's sitting and ruling, you know what else? He's going to be priest on his throne. You see. That should have keyed in the Jews right there that uh, something's going to change. There's going to be some difference because a fellow from the tribe of Judah can't be priest. And of course, the book of Hebrews, you're going to learn that, tells you that, that that's what had to change. You know, he, had, he was from the wrong tribe. So there had, and of course, the Psalms had already said that. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalms 110, verse 4, if we can get that far, if I'll hush and, and move on a little bit faster. Notice, being made so much better than the angels. Now, that's a transition there. And we're going to talk about the rest of chapter 1. And most of chapter 2 is going to be dealing with the fact that Christ is greater than the angels. Let's notice, being made so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained more excellent name than they. It was his birthright, if you will. It's his who he is. Uh, for unto which of the angels said he at any time? Verse 5, this is a quote from chapter 2, verse 7 of Psalms. Unto which, and of course this is an argument from silence. 
He's not really saying, okay, answer that. It's a rhetorical question. He never said that. He never said to any of the angels, uh, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That's the point of it. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Is that from Second Samuel 7.14 or First Chronicles 17.13? I don't know. Both of them are pretty close. Notice verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Probably a quote from Deuteronomy 32.43 in the Septuagint. Greek reads a little differently there than does our English translations. Verse 6. Uh, excuse me. Uh, verse 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. This is uh, from uh, Psalms 104 verse 4. But unto the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Notice that. But unto the Son, King James capitalizes that S. want you to know, talking about Jesus here, not just any Son. He saith, thy throne, O God, is forever. Here the Father is calling the Son, God is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness, hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows. This whole thing here is a quote from Psalms 45, verses 6 and 7. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. Here is another quote, Psalms 102, verses 25 through 27. You, you know, that's something else you got to love about scripture. You got to love about Christians. Uh, you got to think of the times that Christians just break off and start talking about the wonderful power of God. And what are they talking about? They go to the creation. You know, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You can go out. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. We ought to be able to look and see around us at how things operate and how things work and how there's seasons and how the sun's always coming up in the east. It always sets in the west. We, we've we moved into a house now where we face due east. The road we are on is almost a perfect north-south. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Somebody must actually laid that out that way. But, uh, and I have noticed that, you know, uh, the sun comes up way over here <laughs> in the winter. <laughs> it's way over there. I like it better because it don't hit me when I'm drinking my coffee. But as, a, as the summer comes along, the sun moves across. And it's, it, by the time August gets around, you know, and you're ready for it to be back over here, it's, uh, you know, it's way over here. And it does that, and it's going to do that from now until God says, that this no longer he no longer needs the earth to do what he created it for. You know what he created it for? He created it for you and me. It's a proving ground. It's a testing ground to see how we are going to behave. And regardless of what this generation that we have right now thinks about the earth, that, that we're killing it and so forth, it's going to be here just as long as the God of heaven wants it to be here. Not a day longer, not a day shorter. From the beginning thou hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens of the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shall fold them up, and they shall be changed. So we have seven Old Testament quotes right here in the very first chapter showing that the angels can't say these things. They weren't part of creation. They didn't create. They were created. They are created beings. They're not deity. They're not eternal. Jesus, on the other hand, the Christ, the Son is eternal. But which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstools. There's your Psalms 110. That's the same thing that Jesus, that Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost that says Christ is sitting on the right hand of God right now. 
And that's when they say, oh man, we have made a, a big mistake here. Uh, we should not have killed God's son. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's turn to Psalms 110 uh, for a moment. And, uh, and we'll try to be quick with this. But it's something that uh, just really does me good when I read it. I feel good about it. I like to share it with others. Jesus has just been absolutely getting drilled in, in Matthew 22. I mean, they've been hammering him. Everybody that's anybody's had to come in and ask him questions, you know. The uh, Sadducees come in with their home run pitch, and that's the one nobody's ever been able to answer. Yeah, this old gal's married seven guys. When they die, whose wife she going to be in heaven, you know. That was their home run. Nobody ever answered that. That was their debate. That's what they rolled everything up into. And what did Jesus do? Shut them down in just a statement, you know. Uh, you do err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. You know, uh, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. I mean, he just, he just completely shuts that down. The Pharisees ask him, the Herodians want to know if they're supposed to pay taxes and all this. They could care less about the real answer to those. They're just trying to catch him in something. But then the tables turn. Notice what happens in verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus now is going to ask some questions. What think ye of Christ? Christ being the Christos, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One that they know is to come. Whose son is he? They say to him, they don't think twice about it. Boom! Son of David. Everybody knows that. Okay then. How then doth David, and notice inspiration. Jesus says that when David pens these words, he's inspired of God. Theonustos. He's God-breathed. How then does David, in spirit, Call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstools. Let me get, let me ask you something. Did I send y'all to Psalms 110? And I went to Matthew 22. Yeah, see, uh, that's what happens when your 57th birthday is not many days hence. So let's go back. You stay where you are. Notice <laughs> Psalms 110, verse 1. Notice with me, if you will, the Lord. That is the, uh, let me make sure I'm telling you the right thing here. I'm pretty sure that I am. I wouldn't have went there uh, otherwise. Yeah, why did I doubt myself? What's up with that? Why did I doubt my? That's what's called the Tetragrammaton. I should have noticed because they're all caps. It's four letters in the Hebrew. Uh it's called a tetragrammaton because there's four letters and it's Y-H-W-H. We have no idea how to say it. Uh, you can call it Yehwah, Yahweh, whatever you want. We don't know. The Israelites, the Jews, they didn't pronounce it. They also didn't have vowels. So uh, nowadays, if you buy a Hebrew Bible, you'll have all these things all over the letters. And you're like, what in the world? That's their vowels. But those weren't added until thousand years, 2,000 years later by the Mazarites. Uh, and so we don't know how to pronounce that word. That's God's name, the covenant name of God. The Lord, Tetragrammaton, said unto my Lord, notice capital L, small O-R-D. That's the word Adonai. The Lord God said to Jesus, in other words, or the Father said to the Son, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So now if you'll go to uh, Matthew 22 <laughs> with me. Um, Verse 45, if David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And so how were they to answer that? What were they going to say? Because if they said that that's right, but yes, that's exactly right, then what are they saying? 
that there's a man, the son of, that is a son of God, equal to God. And that's exactly what Jesus has been saying. I'm that one. I'm that one. Unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. Word he there, of course, is in italics. That's exactly what Jesus has been saying. But no man was able to answer him a word. If they'd been honest, what would they have said? It was a man was going to be uh, God's son. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Not only was Jesus saying it, but now we're going to see God was saying it, right? Hebrews 2, look at this. You have five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And I flip pages. Five warnings. This is the first of five. The other one is found in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and then chapter 10. These are five. We call them parentheses, but the author is just going along, man. He's doing his thing, talking about Christ greater than angels, Christ greater than Moses, Christ greater than Joshua, Christ greater than uh, the, um, the uh, Le- Levitical uh, priesthood, uh, the uh, covenants better, all that. He's just going along, but he stops from time to time and says, watch out. Be careful. Pay attention. And this is the first one. It says, therefore, because of this, because Christ is greater than the angels, we ought to give the more earnest heed. We ought to pay attention. We ought to really pay attention. Why? Which we have heard, listed at any time, we should let them slip. The ideas of a vessel becoming unmoored, becoming, uh, you know, the, the lines that hold it in, to just start flowing with the current. You ever drifted before? And you, what, you didn't realize it? One time I was about 12 years old. I was out on a float in the ocean. And I was just having a good old time, you know, just doing them things, you know. And I seen that, <laughs> that lifeguard was going nuts, whistling, throwing his flag around, you know. And I thought, boy, he looks upset, you know. And so I was just having a good old time. And there he is. He just, you know, I was like, what is he talking about? There ain't nothing going on out here, you know. Well, apparently I was out too far. Next thing I know, Mama's grabbing hold of that raft and swimming me back in. And I I didn't pay attention to how far I'd gone out, you know. That's the nature of drifting. And, brethren, that's what we have to be careful of. Folks drift. We drift. We live busy lives. Has life ever been any busier? I mean, if it wasn't for these things right here, maybe it'd be less busy. I don't know what I would do without them. Maybe I would have more time to meditate and uh, maintain some of my sense. We live in fast times, and it's easy to find ourselves digressing. It's easy to find ourselves just simply moving along. Don't do that. Why? For if the word spoken by angels, Acts chapter 7, Stephen says the old covenant was given through the mediation of angels, if you will. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and it was, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Remember the fellow picking up the sticks? You remember Nadab and Abihu? Boy, that sticks with me. But I'll tell you the fellow that really gets in my cross sometimes and just... And that's Uzzah. I mean, here you got a soldier doing his thing, you know. He doesn't probably know much about the Bible. He's just been... I've got to guard this here thing, you know. And so you're going along and there's that stupid ox. has got a trip or whatever it does. And here goes the cart. Well, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to... Well, and it cost him. It cost him his life. Just recompense reward. Verse 3, how shall we escape? You ain't. If we neglect so great salvation, which why is it great? Because Jesus, Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus, God gave piecemeal, piecemeal pieces of revelation to people throughout uh, the old covenant, throughout the, the old dispensation. But when Christ came on, we now have the complete revelation. We're responsible before more. James chapter 3, be not many masters, you know, because you're going to, to whom much is given, you know, much is required. 
We know more. We have more. We should be better, just like the book of Hebrews says, right? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Kingdom of heaven is at hand and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And here's what Jesus said all along, even, you know, when he was fighting with people and they're arguing with me, hate him. And he says, okay, you know, you hate me. Don't believe me, but believe the works, man. Believe your eyes. You know, you just saw a dead man come back from the dead. Believe that. If you don't like that I eat my chicken with my rice or something, or you don't like the way I look or the way I walk or the way I talk, but would you at least pay attention and pay attention to the evidence? You've seen deaf people hear. You've seen blind men see. Believe, because why? God is bearing them witness. And He bared the apostles witness. The apostles had miraculous gifts. We could enumerate those. First Corinthians chapter uh, 9, we could talk about... Excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we could talk about when they were going to end. 1 Corinthians 13, we could talk about how they were supposed to be used when they were being used in the first century. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, we just don't have the time. I would love to do that. That's one of my favorite subjects, particularly in our area, when we're so uh, uh, inundated with uh, Pentecostalism. You know, we just happen to have two of the worldwide headquarters, you know, just right over yonder. And so uh, we just have a lot of that well anyway god was bearing the apostles both with signs wonders and different miracles and gifts of the holy ghost according to his own will folks that was to confirm the word the word has been confirmed we don't need to do that today i don't need to tell you hey listen uh believe me and here's me doing something miraculous all I can say is turn to, tell you to go to the wrong place like I did a minute ago, but, you know, Matthew 22, read what God says. Psalms 110, read what God says. It's already been confirmed. It's been written down. It's been here. We've had it 2,000 years. As the brother's prayer was saying earlier, you've got 40 men over, what, 1,600 years writing this. It's cohesive. It's It's already been proved. It's already. And so we don't have to confirm that today. Well, we're not done with our... Uh, quotes at all are we verse 5 for unto the angels hath he put in subjection of the world to come whereof we speak they're not they weren't they were not brought in to uh, help man jesus was but in a certain place saying what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visit him again another quote from psalms 8 at verse 4 and boy isn't that something that we can relate to what are we sinful men what are we that God should show us so much love and uh, take the time and put so much effort into the scheme of redemption and know and watching His Son die upon the cross? You know, and I know we talk about that a lot and that's something that, that's, that's good to talk about. But you think of all the Christians that God has watched being put to death. You think of the, the martyrs of the first century. You think of the martyrs of, martyrs of this century. People dying, being killed simply because they wear the name of Christ. Um, man, man is pretty rough. That you're mindful of him with the Son of Man you visit him. You made him a little lower than the angels. Crowned us him with glory and honor. So many things have been done for man. Put subjection, everything under his feet. 
So much has been done for man, but what did we do with it? We messed it up. And he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not all things are under him. We still have the death problem, don't we? We're still going to die. See, my time is up. Y'all are going to make sure mine comes quicker if I don't hush here pretty quick, right? But we can't get past that. But we have problems with that. People was upset. What happened to them? They're dead. You know, there's this great fear of death. But notice we see Jesus who went through the same thing. He too became a little lower than angels. Notice uh, in a certain place testifying verse 6. Excuse me. Verse 7 talking about man. You made him a little lower than angels. That's where men are. What does Jesus do? He's made a little lower than the angels. He entered himself. He was born into this world. He got hungry. He got sick. He got tired. He went through all the things that we are going through. And he did that. Why? Jesus made a little lower than the angels, suffered death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That's me and you. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are... Listen to that lineup. By all things... And, and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory and to make captain or author of their salvation perfect through sufferings for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all one for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Hallelujah. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Brethren, we ought not be ashamed to call each other brethren. You know, what we have is such a, a precious precious thing and sometimes I, I don't think that we appreciate it as greatly as we ought verse 12 saying i will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will i sing praise psalms twenty two twenty two. what is psalms uh, uh chapter 22 turn to psalms 22 with me in case you don't know Oh, the blessings of technology. Read the first statements. Now, don't read the, the superscript. The superscription is good. You know all those words that are in front of the first verse to the chief musician, all that? We call that the superscriptions. They're not inspired. They're not a part of the Bible, but they're very, very old. And they're worth paying attention to. But look at it. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What's that remind you of? Well, the first thing pops in your head. Jesus on the cross, right? This is the crucifixion psalm. And the Hebrew writer is quoting that here in verse 12. I will declare thy name. Notice, this is talking about Jesus. And down here in verse 22, I will declare thy name unto brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will praise thee. And this is quoted by the Hebrew writer. This is just Jesus. Jesus. Uh, just all over it. Verse 13. Again, I will put trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Just as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. Jesus did the, has lived just like you and I do. That through death he might destroy him that had the power. And who is that? The devil. And deliver them who through fear of death... We're all their lifetime subject to bondage, but not any longer because of what Jesus did. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. No, he became like us. He became like the seed of Abraham. 
Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And we'll see more of that as you go on through the book of Hebrews. To make reconciliation. That word right there is the same word used in 1 John 2 at verse 2, propitiation. That's to, uh, to, to relieve, to bring comfort for the sins of his people, to act with, to take those away. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to, the King James has succor, of them that are tempted. I like to stick the word aid in there, just because I don't use that succor, or however you say that, uh, anymore. Not that I ever used it, but to aid them that are tempted. You see, Jesus knows exactly what it's like to live the life that you and I live. But you know, he was able to do it, and thanks be unto God, sinless. You and I can't do that. We're not asked to do that. Jesus knows, God knows that we weren't able to do that. That's why this scheme of redemption was put together. Before God created man, he put together the scheme of redemption, the plan of redemption, how that God would send His only begotten Son, that the Christ would come and pay that atonement, that as you go through the book of Hebrews, man, are you going to learn more about that? The blood of bulls and goats couldn't cut it. It would take the blood of a vicarious sacrifice, one who didn't deserve to die, to die instead, in the stead of those who do deserve to die. That would be me and you. Why? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, sin indeed, those paid wages. I'm thankful that you invited me to come tonight. Thankful for the invitation. I know Rick, a uh, lot to do with that. I'm thankful for it. Um, I told him that I know y'all wanted to start the bar out low and that way you had nowhere else to go but up. And so, uh, I'm thankful for it. I hope this lesson has been a blessing to you. But the blessing that we have in the Christ is the greatest blessing that has, could ever be. It's the most perfect. If you're here tonight, you're not a New Testament Christian. Maybe you don't know everything that's involved with that. But maybe something's been said that has pricked your curiosity, maybe pricked your heart. We would encourage you not to leave this building without being a child of God. If in times past you've left your first love, but you have drifted, you've allowed the thoughts and cares of this world to choke out your religion, as one of the soils there described by Jesus in his parable of the soils, then come back home. You can come back home. Something public, make public confession. If not, take care of it before you leave here tonight. If we can help you at all, would you come as together we stand and sing.